Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. Thanks for joining us for the program. What, what, what if we saw someone that got out and maybe a, a Ferrari doesn't do anything for you but is a brand new top of the range Lexus or something like that. Really expensive, like crazy expensive car. You know, um, $450,000 worth of car just on four wheels comes into this car park and and the person gets out, what, what are we thinking? Is a balanced life something you aspire to? Is it something you consider worthy of pursuing? And if so, how do we even begin to achieve it? Dr Corbett is in a 10-part series titled Top 10 Proven Keys to Living a Balanced Life. Tonight is the fifth in the series and he looks at respecting the rights of others. His topic, if the price is too right, the cost is always too high. And we can easily find ourselves getting distracted by the wrong things and having our lives, what I describe as, out of balance. And I think as we look at God's Word, it gives us the prescriptions for getting our life in balance. And the picture that I have, and I was almost going to bring my lazy Susan, I, I think I will next time, it's the the picture of a potter's wheel where it goes around and, and if you have the clay in the middle of the potter's wheel as it's spinning, the potter can work that clay and that clay can be moulded and fashioned exactly as the potter designed. But it only takes one degree out and that clay's out of centre and out of balance, out of whack. And this picture is a picture that's presented in scripture in Jeremiah chapter 18 where God says, I'm the potter, you're the clay. I want to mould you, I want to shape you, and I want to fashion you. And so we are looking at, through this summer series, the 10 proven keys to living a balanced life. And I hope that as a result, we take the things that we hear, and I want to give you a little bit of a recap on some of the things that we've heard so far and we can, we can be people who enjoy, well, let's have a look at what, what some of the things are that, that come from living a balanced life. And, and this picture of being moulded and shaped and fashioned is, is the picture that I'm building this series around. It's the whole idea that God can shape and fashion us. And as we understand these principles that God has given and as we apply these principles that God has given, our life enjoys his hands shaping and moulding us into a piece of art. Therefore, the best place for us to be is in the middle of his will, or the, in the middle of his will. This is the, the fifth episode in this series. Here we go. If the price is too right, the cost is always too high. When is the price too right? Often when it's free or when you think that it's free. That's when the price is too right. All right, this is, this is what I want to talk about, that living a balanced life, and, and having just told you that a, that a balanced life is a holy life, it'll be really easy to think that a balanced life is a life where you shun all material possessions. You shun the whole idea of money and, and, and filthy lucre and, and you just stay right away from that and, and you just live on air or water or maybe a bowl of rice a month or something and you have nothing to do with the material evil world out there. But you know that's not the picture the Bible presents of what it means to be holy. 
It's not the picture at all. In fact, what we, what we see in Scripture is that the Bible has given us a picture that God has redeemed things. God has redeemed things. So, got your Bibles? This is a prayer out of Proverbs 30. And if you've got Proverbs 30, you might need to look at this. This is 8 and 9. And, and it's a beautiful prayer. And it says this. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. So this is the prayer of someone. Now, this is not Solomon. The last two chapters of the book of Proverbs were not written by Solomon. They weren't even written by an Israelite, actually. But they were written by someone who knew God. And this is, this is the prayer. And here it is. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor. And here's the equivalent of denying the Lord. And steal. And what would stealing do? It says it would profane the name of my God. So to get that, I think that's a beautiful prayer. Give me, give me enough that my needs are met, but don't give me too much, otherwise I might forget about you. Give me just enough. So here we have this thing that I think I want to show you from Scripture, that your things represent you, your possessions represent you. I'm going to let you in on a little insight. I have this attitude about how people treat their things. I, I, I have this, this thing. When I see people treating their things with care, it tells me a lot about them. When I see people looking after their things and keeping their things tidy, when I go to someone's house and it's, they obviously look after it, it tells me something about them. Your things represent you. Now, this is in contrast, and I think this is a biblical position, by the way. This is in contrast to the way some religions look at things, as I've already mentioned. They see things as inherently evil. But I also want to point out, and you may not see the little writing down the bottom there, that your things represent you, not the other way around. In other words, we are here to control what we own, not be owned by our things. Do you get that? We are represented by our things. Our things are not, representing, are not represented by us. We, we need to be careful that our things serve us. We don't serve them. Now, this is, this is what I want you to see. The gospel has redeemed things. The gospel has redeemed things. And if you've got your Bible, it would be really good to look at this. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. The gospel has redeemed things. So I know that there are people who think that the opposite of spirituality is materialism. No, materialism is just another form of spirituality. But let's not confuse that with thinking that to be spiritual means you have nothing to do with what is material. That's not biblical. That is not biblical at all. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 17 says this, as for the rich in this present age, charge them 
not to be haughty or proud, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, and note this, who richly provides us with everything to do what? To enjoy. God has redeemed things for us to enjoy. Does anyone have anything that they enjoy? I enjoy my bed. I enjoy my car. Things. God has redeemed things for us to enjoy. There's two parts of this verse. That's the last half. The first half is... Don't be arrogant, you rich people, about what you own and what you possess. Don't be haughty in the sense that you have it as an attitude to put others down. Don't do that. So here we have the Bible telling us that God has given us things to enjoy. Earlier Paul said this in in chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. He says this, For everything created by God is, what's that word? Good, And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So if you receive, if, if you've got things and there's perhaps a thought that says, man, I don't know if it's right for a Christian to have this because There are people starving in Africa. There are people who are starving in all other parts of the world. I don't know if it's right for me to have a house to live in when there are people who are homeless. I don't know if that's right. Well, the Bible says that if you have those things, be thankful for it and recognise God has given it to you. And in one sense, if we can get this thing about things, we we might see it this way. We never own anything. God owns everything and he lets us use it. (laughs) It's his. So everything ultimately is God's. So when we, so you can imagine that the the picture of tithing, just going back to the early part in the service, the attitude isn't, I'm going to give you God, I'm going to give you something that's mine. That's not the picture at all. The picture is everything is God's anyway. And God wants to know whether we get that. 1 Timothy 4, 4 and 5, everything has been been made holy by the word of God and by prayer. In other words, if we keep God our primary focus. Here's here's, Here's a principle associated with things. And you might think, well, how does this have anything to do with things. Well, it it has a direct bearing on things, and this is it. God is designed for people to work. God is designed for you to work so that you can, among meeting needs, have things. But God is designed for you to work. In fact, the New Testament teaches this as a principle that I have never heard implemented in any church. And I doubt that we have the courage to implement this next verse either. But it is a New Testament principle. And Paul says it's a teaching that he established in the early church. This is it. 
For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. There's got to be some effort when you enjoy the reward. It's why parents need to teach their children to do jobs around the house. Parents, how many times do you throw your hands in and go, oh, forget it, look, just go and play with your whatever, I'll do it myself. Don't do that. Don't do that. Um, Ruby loves working around the house, don't you, Ruby? Oh, yay. Ruby has certain jobs to do. And Ruby carries on like, as you've seen, she's quite an actress. She'll carry on and carry on and carry on about how life is so unfair and you're making me do all these jobs. And as I try to explain to her, sweetie, it's not, it's not because I think you're the best dryer-upper in the world that I need you to dry up the dishes. It's that you must learn to contribute to the house. You must learn to contribute. You must wash my car every day. You must... <laughs> No, we don't do that one. <laughs> that, that kicks in when she's 11. <laughs> but it's important that parents teach their children that, that they have to, if they want to enjoy the reward, they have to contribute work. It's a principle that we see in God's word. Here the Apostle Paul says, if you don't work, you're not going to eat. It's that simple. So God has designed not only for people to work, but... For people to be rewarded for their work. For people to be rewarded for their work. It's a part of God's design. So here's a, here's a principle that we see in the book of Proverbs. And we've got to be careful reading the book of Proverbs that we don't, we don't treat these as promises rather than as principles. And here it is. Prepare your work outside. Now, I'm thinking this means sow your crops. Get your fields sown. If you've got sheep, get some. Get, get them in there. Get them doing what sheep do, which is not much. But get them out there and get them doing something. Prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field. And when you've worked first, then after that it says, build your house. Work first, reward later. That's the principle that we see. In God's word. And this is, this is one of the most, I was going to say frustrating, but I, I, I can't say that. This is one of the most amazing revelations I've ever received from God's word. That I pray for God to help meet my needs and God answers my prayer every time, not with an immediate answer to my need, but with the opportunity for my need to be met. If you hear nothing else, get this. You may be facing difficulties right now in your life. You may have needs. You may have wants, and that's okay. And you may be asking God to meet those needs or grant you those desires. And God's answer is almost invariably not direct, it's indirect. He grants you the opportunities for those needs to be met. The opportunities. So, teenager, you may really, 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 really need an iPhone 7 triple S or whatever it is. Oh. 
You may really, 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 mum, dad, I need, I need an iPhone 7. Well, let's pray about it, child. Let's pray. Let's pray that God will grant you the opportunity to find a job where you can work for $6.50 an hour and you can clock up those 4,649 hours that you need to buy that thing, whatever it is. And I'm exaggerating to make a point. In other words, there's got to be reward for work. And this is a principle that God has in his word. And here it is. This is taken from Deuteronomy. We we read earlier from Deuteronomy. Here's another verse, verse from Deuteronomy. Again, it's a principle. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back and get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the wanderer, the traveller, the fatherless, the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Now get this picture. If you've read the book of Ruth, We have Ruth and Naomi going back to uh, Bethlehem and they're they're very poor. So what does Ruth say to Naomi? I will go and glean so that we can have our needs met. What is gleaning? It's picking up the sheaves that were left behind. It's picking up the harvest that was left in the field that the harvesters didn't see, didn't get the first time. And they're told, here in God's word, don't go back and re-harvest your field, farmers. Don't go back and do it. Instead, all those poor at your gate, after you've harvested, let them in. Let them come and work so that they can have their needs met. It's an amazing principle. And, and I think we live in a culture that does not understand this gospel principle of Effort, work, reward. And so here it is in the New Testament, the principle of gleaning. So God expects for us, as we understand, he gives us things to enjoy. He he blesses us with things. He wants us to be thankful for what we've got. He doesn't want us to be arrogant with the things that we have. He expects that if we put in work and we get an appropriate reward for that and we use that reward to meet our needs and by by things, and we're doing everything along the way to honour him and give him glory, that we who watch that person will do this, that we will respect their right, the right of others, to be rewarded for their work. This is a gospel approach. This is a Christian approach. How would you feel if you saw someone drive into the church car park this morning in a brand new Ferrari. They obviously cheated on their taxes. Or How many of us would think they must be a crook? Some of us might. What, what, what if we saw someone that got out, and maybe a, a Ferrari doesn't do anything for you, but it's a brand new top-of-the-range Lexus or something like that, a really expensive, a crazy expensive car. You know, um, $450,000 worth of car, just on four wheels, comes into this car park and, and the person gets out. What, what are we thinking? What's under the bonnet? <laughs> Just flick the bonnet, mate. Let's have a look what's under this thing. <laughs> but how many of us might be tempted to think they must be a cheat, they must be a crook, they must... How many of us would think that? 
I don't think the Bible allows us to assume that that's fair thinking. And here's how I know. Because the, was it the seventh command? I'm trying to count them in my head. Six, seven, eight. The eighth command is do not, oh, sorry, you shall not steal. You shall not steal. Now, why? For this principle, God expects us to respect the rights of others to own things. As ambassadors of Christ, we must respect others' rights to own things. So, you're the last one here. For some reason, we get you to pack up, close up, turn the lights out, lock the door, and the convertible Ferrari, Caleb, the convertible Ferrari is all alone in the car park and the keys are in the ignition. And the person who drove up in it isn't here. Caleb, what are you going to do? <laughs> See, he was listening when we did the whole thing on honesty. Take it up to the roundabout for a spin and bring it back. But if we respected that person's right to own that property and we regarded it as theirs and not ours to use, Caleb, then what would we do? <laughs> there's, there's a struggle going on. We might, we might call them and say, oh, excuse me, do you realise you left your, your $260,000 Ferrari sitting in our car park <laughs> with the keys in it? Pains me to tell you that, but you have. <laughs> because we respect their right to own it. Let's bring it down from Ferraris down to checkout chicks. The checkout chick counts out the change and gives you too much. How many of us go, well, she counted it. She's the professional. I'm just the amateur. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> How many of us We'll see, you know, you're buying your baked beans, you've got 27 cans of baked beans going through and they only put 26 through. They missed one 39-cent can of baked beans. And I'm not going to tell you how much I know, how I know how much they are. Don't worry about that. But they missed, what do you do? 39 cents. Now what do you do? Thank you, Jesus, you provided again. Hallelujah. Or do we realise Woolworths, Coles, whoever it is, IGA, they have a right to own their property and to sell it to me. They can do it, but it's theirs, not mine. How many of us, how many of us have gone back into a store after we realised the checkout chick gave us the wrong change and said, excuse me, you gave me $20 too much. I just want to give this back to you. You ever done that? What's the response of the lady at the service desk counter? Shock and gratefulness. It is, isn't it? And that just illustrates we do not live in a culture that gets this. In fact, can I tell you that we lived, if we were to live in a culture that got this, this principle, you know what it would do to our culture in our city? Can you imagine living in a, in a city where people didn't steal anything? There was no thievery? <laughs> 
No burglary. Unreal, isn't it? What if God gets a hold of someone who has developed a lifestyle of stealing to live? This is what the scripture is going to charge them to do. Let the thief no longer steal. And here's that principle, that principle that we've seen throughout God's word, and it's this. Work, then reward. Work, then reward. And here it is. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labour, doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So don't, thieves, don't steal. What can you steal? You can steal things. You can steal a kiss. You can steal time. If you're an employee, pay to do a job. You are trading your time for wages. And you're paid to do that, and you can steal that time back by not doing what you're paid to do. It says in 2 Samuel that Absalom, the son of David, King David, stole the hearts of the men of Israel by flattery. So you can steal hearts by flattery. Girls, watch out for boys who do that. Here's where I think we need to land. If we want to live a balanced life, we're not going to be envious, we're not going to begrudge anyone who's got stuff, who's blessed, or maybe I think I'm misusing that word blessed. They have been rewarded for their efforts. Good on them. Good on them. Don't begrudge anyone the fact that they earn a lot and have a lot. Good on them. John Wesley said this, earn as much as you can. Save as much as you can. And give as much as you can. So a balanced life comes when we respect the rights of others to own things. A balanced life also recognises that when we ask God to meet our needs, he almost certainly always chooses to answer that by providing us with opportunities for us to work. Isn't that exciting? How many of us would just rather have God meet the need? Me? Me too? Us? But God provides the opportunities, the field to glean, the job to do, the thing to sell, the service to provide. God does that. Church, this year, I pray that you will have your heart's desires met, that you will find that God blesses you with things as a reward for your effort and labour. I trust that that will be the case. And I trust that as we as a church seek to work, that God will reward us as well as a church. We're going to pray in a moment. And I pray that we will take these principles and make them a part of our balanced life. So, Father, I pray for each of us that we will have a newfound respect for those people who have things, that we will have a newfound appreciation for when we pray 
for you to give us things, that, Lord, you will give us, that, that you always give us the opportunities in answer to those prayers. Lord, I pray that we would respect the rights of others to own their things and that we won't violate those rights. And I pray, Lord, that as we come into this year, this would be a year where people understand how to work and that, Lord, they will be fairly rewarded for their work. Father, I pray that this would be a year where you release commissions, you release royalties, you release pay rises, you release high-paying jobs, that you would release people into greater and greater opportunities and therefore greater and greater rewards as a result. Father, we set our sails toward you, your purpose and your kingdom. Individually and as a church this year, we do not worship things, but we worship the one who provides everything. In Jesus' name, and everyone said... We work hard and we're rewarded with things. A balanced life respects the rights of others to own their own things. More from Dr Corbett in his series 10 Proven Keys to a Balanced Life next week. His topic, two ears, one mouth used in their correct proportions can add years to your life. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, The Top 10 Proven Keys to a Balanced Life, Part 5, are available via the website, findingtruthmatters.org, or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For updates and special offers, please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.